I'd like us to try to get as much as we can here done because it is one nice section that really flows together. If you remember correctly, last week we left off in chapter 22 where Jehoshaphat was coming with Ahab and they had made these alliances. We talked a lot about that. There was a military alliance, there was a marriage alliance, there was an economic alliance. Everything was allied with them except for the idea of spirituality. Israel, Ahab's group, was following their gods of Baal, and what you see here with Jehoshaphat, he was still following the true God of Jehovah or Yahweh. So as they are getting ready now to go into this battle together, Jehoshaphat asked for a true prophet of the Lord to come. And so Micaiah the prophet came, and Micaiah prophesied basically saying, Ahab, you're going to die in this battle, and this is the judgment that God has now brought upon you. And if you're keeping track, there's been four different times that prophets Two prophets, four different times, told Ahab that he was going to die. And Ahab does die tonight at the end of this battle, but Jehoshaphat is saved. And that's where we left off is this idea of verse 28. But Micaiah said, if you considered a good king, there's a lot of things he could have done better. But his dad was a good king, and Jehoshaphat is generally considered a good king as well. 43, he did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. Once again, let's back up and let's unpack this. 43, he walks in the way of his father. That is good. So verse 43 is considered a good. Now, the high places were not taken away. High places are kind of interesting when you read in the Bible. High places are literally that. They're a high place. They're on a hill. They're on a mountain. And people would go there and worship. Now, most often, it's false worship. They're getting up to a high place, the idea of trying to get closer to God. Sometimes in the Bible, you see it almost being accepted by God, but it's warned against, it's told not to, and you're supposed to tear them down. God has built the temple. He has set up the temple. That is where you're supposed to approach God is through the temple and the sacrifices. So these high places that are left are ways that people are trying to go, maybe worship a false god generally, or they were worshiping a little bit of the right god, Jehovah, Yahweh, and some false gods together. Jehoshaphat was not pure in getting them all destroyed and taken care of. But he's considered good. Why is he considered good? Let's take a look at this. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 17. Let's look at two things that he did to show us that he was good. 2 Chronicles 17. If you like to take notes, I encourage you to mark this down. Whenever you see the Lord commending something, somebody for doing something, it's a good note to stop and say, Lord, if this is what you like, then I want to do this as well too. Second Chronicles 17, let's start with verse six. And his, Jehoshaphat's heart, took delight in the ways of the Lord. So the first thing you see with Jehoshaphat that makes him good is he delighted in the ways of the Lord. I think of that great verse in 1 John where it says God's ways are not a burden to you. What a blessing that you delight in the ways of the Lord. That you stop and you say, wow, it's my week to serve in the back. I get to represent Jesus to these kids. Wow, Lord, there's an opportunity. I have a new coworker, and it's obvious that he's lost, and I have an opportunity now to go represent Christ. There's a new neighbor moving in beside me, and oh boy, they're awful. How exciting is this? You're delighting in ministry opportunities. You're delighting in the ways of the Lord. Now, those are extreme examples to get the point across, but the reality is this. Lord, do I delight in your ways? Do I delight in being obedient? Or is really serving God something that's just a, awful, horrible thing, and I just put up with it. 
If you're not delighting in the ways of the Lord, do not expect to be blessed in the ways of the Lord. So verse 6, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Also in the third year of his reign, now look how he delighted. He sent leaders, Ben-Hael, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniah, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. He so delighted in the ways of the Lord, he sent people to the cities to say, would you go teach the common people the ways of the Lord? Verse 8, and with them he sent Levites, Shimei, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Isaiah, Shemariah, Janathian, Hadajah, Tobijah, and Tobadiah, the Levites with them, Eshmeah, and Jehoam the priest. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people, and the fear of the Lord fell in all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Look at the blessing. Jehoshaphat delighted in the Lord. He was so delighted in the Lord. Verse 7, he's sending out people to teach. And what are they teaching? Verse 9, they taught the book of the law. That's what they did. Imagine being so excited about the things of the Lord. You just stop and say, I got to start up a small group in my house. People need to hear about the Lord. Imagine being so excited when you go into work, you just stop and say, I'm so delighted in the ways of the Lord. I just need to let everybody know about it. And that's what he's doing here. He's passing all this information. What else did he do to show that his heart was right with the Lord? Jump ahead just a couple chapters, 2 Chronicles 19. This is after his rebuke that we just read about coming back from the battle. But look at, go ahead and if you would, look, remind ourselves of verse 3. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, and that you have removed the wooden images from the land, and you have prepared your heart to seek God. Delighted in the things of the Lord, and prepared your heart to seek God. Do you understand how important that word is, prepared? He stopped and he said, I'm making preparations to see what the Lord wants me to do. You see this in a couple other individuals in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, Daniel purposed in his heart he would not sin against the Lord. So Daniel made a decision as a young teenager to stop and say, I'm going to serve the Lord. And he stuck with that. Ezra is described as preparing his heart to seek the things of the Lord and teaching it. If you could stop right now and say, Lord, I am taking my heart and I'm preparing my heart to seek you from this point forward, your life will completely, utterly change. It truly will. Because you have stopped and you said, Lord, you are the most important thing and I prepared. You're not going to react now to the things of the world. You are prepared to move forward in your walk in relationship with Christ. I see so many Christians having a reactionary walk with the Lord. They react to the bad day. They react to the troubles in their life. They react to the bad diagnosis rather than preparing their heart to say, Lord, I'm going into work today ready to represent you. I'm going into this medical appointment with whatever you say, God is good. I prepared my heart for whatever happens. How do we see this with Jehoshaphat? Verse four. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land through all the fortified cities of Judah city by city. And he said to the judges, take heed to what you're doing for you do not judge man Judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, no, no taking of bribes. Moreover, in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers in Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. 
whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in their cities, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you, you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. Just jump back real quick. Look at nine. Thus you shall act faith, excuse me, thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully with a loyal heart. That's what we're looking at. Faithfully serving the Lord when the fear of God loyally, this is why Jehoshaphat is so commended. Now, what did he do wrong, though? Well, if you remember correctly, we just read back in 22, chapter 22, Jehoshaphat made peace with the kings of Israel. He not just made peace, the Bible repeatedly tells us he allied themselves with them. He looked at them as allies, as these equals, and that's where the problem comes about, is that he so hooked himself up with them, you see this. Just jump ahead to show you this. Look at 2 Chronicles 20. I want you to see the repetition of this word. Start in 35 with me. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him to make ships go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber. But Eziar, the son of Davidah of Maharash, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. You see three times in those verses, that's the danger. He so inclined himself and hooked himself up with uh, Israel that it became problems. We covered that a couple weeks ago being unequally yoked. Jump back now real quick, 1 Kings 22. What else did he do that was right? Verse 46, the rest of the perverted people in verse 46, these would be male temple prostitutes, not the godly temple, but false temple, false shrines. They were combining sexual morality with false worship together. He got them out of the land. So you see some great things he did, and there's also some stumbling things that he did. But back to the ships thing. 47. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophar for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships erected Ezion Geber. 47 looks like it's just thrown in there, but the reason 47 is in there is to show you that Edom had no strong power. Since Edom had no strong power, verse 48, that's why they were able to send ships from Ezion Geber, because Ezion Geber is in Edom. They're just telling you politically, since Edom wasn't strong enough, Jehoshaphat was able to go in there. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. He learns in 49, stay away from Israel. So there is some wisdom there. So this kind of closes the chapter in Jehoshaphat. He prepared his heart to seek God. He took delight in the ways of the Lord. He did a lot of good things, but his big issue was he allied himself with Israel. He was unequally yoked with them, and that caused major problems in his life, and we've covered that extensively. So let's pause real quick. Uh, Any quick questions about anything here before we go on? Make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, so that ends Jehoshaphat 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father has done. Asa was good. Jehoshaphat was good. Jehoshaphat prepared his heart. Jehoshaphat delighted in the things of the Lord. Jehoshaphat was blessed. We're now down to Ahaziah. Ahaziah is just like his dad, Ahab. Look at 52, just to stress this. 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father and in the ways of his mother, Jezebel, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. And now what we do is we talk about Ahaziah. Can you now flip over to 2 Kings chapter 1? Verse 1, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. That's just setting the tone. We're going to get to that in 2 Kings chapter 3. So just remember that in a couple weeks when we get there. Moab sees a weakness because Ahab has died, and so therefore they're going to move in. Back in 2 Samuel 8, David subjugated Moab. So that story picks up in 2 Kings 3. But we need to deal with Ahaziah first. Verse 2, now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire by Elzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to him, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire by Elzebub, the god of Ekron? So Ahaziah is in trouble. And since he's in trouble, what's he do? Verse 2, he's going to go to his false gods and ask them. Elijah shows up and basically says, Haven't we proven enough here that our god is true? We defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Your dad just died because one of the prophets came, Micaiah, and said that the Lord was going to judge him. And here you are, once again, on your own, inquiring of false gods. Now, affliction, though. God allowed, verse 2, Ahaziah to fall through the lattice of his upper room. That's a rich person's house. The poor people would not have that. So he's got the upper room that he could go up in. What happened is he fell through. We don't know the details, but he's obviously injured. And the Lord allowed this to happen because how we handle affliction reveals so much. Have you ever been around that person that you've only seen the good side of them? Like you've only seen them maybe at church or in public settings and they're always happy and cheerful, whatever. And then all of a sudden you see them in a different setting when stress hits and tension hits and there's a whole other side to that coin and you don't know how to handle that. Affliction reveals what we're really like. And so what happens right here, right now, Ahazia runs into affliction, and his first thing is what? Call on my false God. Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Afflictions draws back to God's word. Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Affliction can be a great thing. What we turn to in affliction reveals what our foundation is. So when we're going through a tough medical thing, how we handle that affliction reveals our faith in the Lord. A tough day at work, problems at home, situations in life, that reveals it. And so what happens for me from a pastoral standpoint, when I see somebody go through something, generally it's a medical thing, and I just watch them in this medical thing just grow and go deeper in the Lord and turn to the Lord and all of a sudden they don't want to talk about their affliction. They want to talk about how God's strengthened them. It just warms my heart and I walk away from that saying, wow, Lord, that affliction brought them closer to you just like you promised in Psalm 119. But then there's also other times where people have gone through and I'll just use the medical example again, affliction and I just watch them just slowly move away from God. Because all of a sudden, God's not answering my prayers. Why would God allow this to happen? Why does he do this? If he's so good, why doesn't he do something? And that affliction revealed that their foundation was not as strong as it looked like when the sun was shining. Ahaziah's foundation is revealed in this affliction. 
What we do in affliction reveals our foundation. So a tough situation happens to you. What's your first reaction? Is your first reaction is I gotta call this person, I gotta text this person, I gotta get a hold of this person? Because you gotta talk to them rather than the Lord. It reveals your foundation is based on relationships with other people. Or how about something tough medical? Is your first reaction, I gotta get to the doctor? Or is your first reaction, Lord, I really need to pray about this and see where you lead? Now let's make a couple points clear. Godly counsel is biblical and good. I encourage you, seek God definitely first and then seek your family in Christ for support. I, I'm all for that. I'm not saying don't call your brothers in the, or sisters in the Lord. Brothers call your brothers, sisters call your sisters in the Lord. But if that's your first thing rather than the Lord, it shows that you're clinging to people more than the Lord. I am not against doctors and medicine. I think doctors and medicine are great. But seek God first and say, Lord, and your godly wisdom lead and guide and direct if you've got to go to the ER, as you're going to the ER, start praying for those nurses and doctors on duty there that they have the godly wisdom on how to handle the problem. Seek the Lord in that. Affliction really reveals what we think is really important to us. And this judgment has come upon Hazia. Why? Well, we see all the problems going on in his life. Politically, his country is having a problem. They're rebelling against Israel. So what happened also economically, we've seen the problem. His ships just got crashed. We just read that. And now physically he has a problem. God's trying to get his attention. Why? Because he loves them. Remember what Ahab did? When Ahab faced problems, Ahab repented the first time. God is giving Ahaziah a chance here to repent. But Ahaziah is not going to do that, verse 4. So the message goes... For now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. Now, Hazy at this point could have said, Lord, I repent in sackcloth and ashes, and I'm sure God would have spared him. And when the messengers returned to him, to Hazia, and said to them, why have you come back? Basically, how could you have gotten back so quick from Ekron? Ekron's about 30-some miles away. Six, they said to him, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire by Azabub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to him, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Wouldn't you like to be described, verse 8? Hey, what's your pastor like? Well, he's a hairy man. And where's a leather belt? Verse 8, which <laughs> I do have a leather belt on. Um, <laughs> verse 8, that is actually a really important verse. Because that verse connects you to John the Baptist. Think of the description of John the Baptist in the New Testament, wearing a leather belt. It's supposed to show you that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But what's so important about the hairy thing? Well, we're in just a few chapters. Do you remember correctly when Elisha receives the power to go out and be the new prophet and he's walking out? All these youth come up to him and start making fun of him and saying, you bald man, you bald man. And he calls the bear out of the woods and comes and mauls the children. Now, we're going to get to that in a few weeks. And if you've not heard this, you're saying that's in the Bible. Yep, that's one of those Sunday school stories you don't hear a lot about. You don't see a lot of flannel graphs of the bears mauling children. If you're not going to be with me in a few weeks, let me just give you the highlights. First off, when it says they were children, it's not that they were like three-year-old kids, okay? It means they were old enough to know what they were doing. Number two, why is it a big deal that just be said because they said, you bald man? What they're really attacking is that he doesn't have the power and the spirit of Elijah. Since Elijah was a hairy man, verse 8, by them making a comment about Elisha being bald, 
they're really attacking his calling as a prophet. That's why it's so important to note that Elijah was a hairy man, and that makes you see really what they were attacking with Elisha was his spiritual calling, not just making fun of the fact that the guy was bald. So, he may not have really been bald. Bald may just mean he was not as hairy there as Elijah didn't have that. Then the king sent him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. This is important because this is what Elijah did to defeat the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel called fire down from heaven to prove that God was victorious. Remember, Baal was supposed to be the God of lightning and things like that. So basically, it's just Jehovah, the true God, showing up Baal, saying, you don't even exist. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I have always loved this story. And it hit me this time as I was reading and preparing it. These are not just words on a page. There is a death toll of 100 plus people. We, we, we really got to remember. It's easy to look at this and say, oh, how cool these guys go up and fire comes down from heaven. And t- that's, that's 50 widows. That's orphans. This is the judgment of God. And, and, and I really want you to realize what's going on here. These are enemies of God armed to come bring. Do you really think that Hazazia was wanted to sit down with Elijah and just have a cup of coffee and talk about things? No. This is an armed force to go capture this. We've already seen that his dad Ahab had no problem throwing prophets in prison. No problem. We have no problem seeing that his mother put a hit out on Elijah just a few chapters ago. This is an armed attack coming to get Elijah. And God is protecting him. 11. Then he sent him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to a man of God, thus has said the king, come down, note added now, quickly. So Elijah answered and said to them, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So we're now up over 100 people. Two armed forces now have come to attack. Please note the repetition and the emphasis of man of God. Nine, man of God. If I'm a man of God, 10. Verse 11, man of God. Verse 12, if I'm a man of God. This is really a battle between Baal and Jehovah. That's, that's what this is a battle between. And what happens is every time the heathen pagan king sends another 50 men to come capture God's prophet, they just keep getting toasted because there is no battle in any way whatsoever. Please see the bigger picture here of what's going on. Again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with them and said to a man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fires come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. If time would allow, be a great way to do a teaching on humbleness. 15. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire by Elzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken because he had no son. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? What you see here is what? Ahab was given an opportunity and he repented and learned. Ahaziah was given an opportunity 
He chose not to repent. He just kept sending troops and they just kept getting toasted. This is an example of the power of God versus the power of a supposed God, Beelzebub, that is a false God. And this is supposed to show the power that's going on right here. This is really, once again, showing God's power over everything. Judgment comes. Now, Maybe we're taking the Bible too far and saying, well, James, you're saying if he would have repented, he would have been okay. How do we know that? Well, because when Ahab repented, he was made okay. Now, granted, three years later, it showed his heart had not really changed. We also see a little bit later on here, we're going to come to a king by the name of Hezekiah, that when he repents and asks God, God blesses him. God is a God of grace and mercy and is willing to forgive and wanting to forgive. But there has to be a heart that wants to be forgiven. And what we see here with the Hazia, there was not a heart that wanted to be forgiven in any way whatsoever. That cold, hard, scoffer's heart faced judgment and therefore was destroyed because of this. So we'll go ahead and call it right there. We'll pick it up next week in chapter 2. Great story there about Elijah being taken up to heaven and the new ministry of Elisha that now is going to become center stage here for the next few chapters in 2 Kings. Alrighty, uh, any final questions about anything here before we go ahead and close up? Okay. All right, then let's pray. Lord, may we delight in you. May we purpose in our heart to follow you. May we prepare our hearts to follow you. And may we go out there, Lord, and represent you like Jehoshaphat. May we also be willing in times of affliction to step back and say, Lord, what can I learn from this? How can I glorify you in this? How can I make you first, Lord? And can we realize affliction reveals our foundation, Lord? And may we learn from this in your name. Amen. All righty here, in way of announcements. All right, lots of things going on. We're entering a very active season out here at church. Prayerfully consider getting involved with those things you feel led to get involved with. Hey, next Wednesday, hard to believe, is our fellowship meal for the month of May. So go on, come on out early for that. Uh, You can have the fellowship meal, then also stick around uh, for the teaching and hopefully be blessed as well. And since that means the fellowship meal is going on next Wednesday, it also means that the ladies are meeting before the fellowship meal to be able to do writing through the word. And that information is back there to my right. So if you're interested in ladies and coming out early and being a part of that, what a great ministry that is that, ladies getting together and writing out the Bible. Um, we've got garage sale giveaway coming up. I see we've got some information back there to my left. Soldiers, uh, there's still got one prayer quilt back there that you can pray for back there to my right. If you haven't, great opportunity to go back. Please check all the different VBS meetings, children's ministry meetings that are going on as we get closer to Vacation Bible School. We have some information if you want to get involved with Johnny and Friends, what a great organization that is. There's more information on the back table and also on the back page small groups going on throughout the week and we also have baptism coming up uh, may 7th uh, so the first uh, sunday in may we got a couple people that want to get baptized if the lord is stirring your heart on that and you want to get baptized please talk to me about that we'd love to get a chance to uh, chat with you Alrighty, um i think that is most everything here so i'm glad you guys can make it out here this evening Oh, if you get a chance, make sure you get a chance to go over and say hello to Ross Wenzinger. Ross is with us here for the first time since he had his hip surgery there and recovering and doing well. Don't try to race him, but just go over and and say hi to him. So you guys have a good week. God bless. We'll catch you guys next Wednesday and take care.